welcome to our newest episode of Brothers to Fish, the Summer Spotlight Series. Today, we have the phenom, the amazing Rebecca Daniels with us today. How are you? How is everything going up in Michigan? Oh, it's great. And I'm doing so well, Anthony. Thank you. And thanks um, to Lauren and Michael as well for, for having me and for letting me hang out with you all this evening. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being here. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So can you just give us a little bit of your background and your bio? You know, how did you get to where you are currently? Sure. Yeah. Um, if it's cool, I'll start currently and then kind of work my way back if that works. Um, so I just finished the Doctor of Musical Arts degree uh, in wind conducting at Michigan State University uh, last month now. Um, and uh, will begin my appointment as visiting director of Wind Ensemble at the University of Utah in July. And uh, we'll be moving cross country out there uh, next month. So a lot of, lot of different things happening right now. Um, prior to starting graduate studies at Michigan State, um, I was the associate director of bands at Houston County High School in Warner Robins, Georgia. And I spent three very wonderful years there, uh, very, very wonderful years there. Um, before that, I did my master's in wind conducting um, in conjunction with a graduate assistantship uh, within the band department at Georgia Southern University um, and studied with um, Dr. Robert Dunham and Dr. Colin McKenzie there. And then before that, I taught in Lawrence County, Georgia, in Dublin, Georgia, which is um, actually home for me. And um, during that year, I taught fifth grade beginning band, eighth grade band, co-taught high school symphonic band, and did marching band. Um, so that was quite a first year of teaching. That was the full tour of uh, every, every level of, of band teaching. Um, and then before that, I did my um, Bachelor of Music Education degree uh, at Georgia Southern University and did the full tenure there, you know, did played in every ensemble that I could, um, you know, took like what seemed like a thousand classes in music and plus some and, uh, you know, did athletic bands, uh, was a drum major for two years, did, did the full thing. Um, so yeah, that's me. I'm from, um, as I mentioned earlier, Dublin, Georgia, Lawrence County, um, relatively small town in the middle of Georgia, a population of about 15,000 people. Um, and that's pretty much it. Oh my goodness. You say that's it, like that's like, you know, do one or two things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, this, that, the other. Right. Just yeah, it seemed summarized, but yeah, there it's yeah, it's it's a lot. It was it was a lot when, when you really think about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Uh, and I totally forgot. Uh so we should be um really announcing you as doctor. Doctor. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm not used to that yet, but um. <laughs> you earned that. We gotta say it. Right, we have to say it. This is, you earned that. And it's weird for me because I've known you for a long time. For people who are listening, uh, Miss Rebecca Daniels, Dr. Daniels, Doctor, now, thank you. was my first ever private euphonium teacher back in like when I was a freshman in high school. Like, 
Yeah. Long time, long, long, long time. So like the fact to see where you are now, I'm just so, so, so happy and so proud. And I'm like, oh, I love it, love it, love it. So now you're officially Dr. Daniels. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you. I love those days too. Oh, when we used to meet and we would, we would meet in, was it Bonaire Middle School yep, Bonaire in Middle the band school. room? Um, yep. And I would drive up from Dublin. Um, and that was so great. Oh, but so great. Yeah, that was so long. Now that I think about Sometimes. it, that was, oh my gosh, almost hey, 10 years eight. ago. Yeah. yeah. Anthony, I have a question. When's the last time you touched the euphonium? Okay, why are you trying to shade me on public, public yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Actually, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long because I teach it to my kids. All right. Okay, see? You got me. Yeah. I just had to make sure. I was like, are you sure you're a brass player? Yeah. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> also, also, Dr. Daniels, you were a beast at trombone. Um, I heard you play, and I was like, whoa there whoa there like how, can you talk about your time being a trombone player and especially like a female trombone player and where it's really not like a lot of women in, on that instrument and in brass in general yeah you know um it's really interesting how i came to be a trombone player um you know but really i was never destined to do i guess um I, I even hate to say this because I hate that it exists, but I, I was never destined to do any sort of stereotypical feminine instrument. You know what I mean? Um, and I, and, and that, that exists, unfortunately. And, um, but, you know, I originally wanted to play percussion. Um, and I started band late because um, I was going to be an athlete. So I, I, I started band a little late. And anyway, um, essentially it all boiled down to me showing up one day at the band room, um, in seventh grade, actually, uh, I was a late bloomer in band and basically saying, look, you know, um, I'm very serious about joining band. I want to do this. Um, basically what do you need? You know, what, what do you need? What will you put me on this late in the game? And trombone was it. And, and, and I, and it was really kind of fortunate for me because I was only able to start late because there was a retired band director in the area who was a trombone player. And he was able to come in and give me private lessons, essentially, I mean, essentially like differentiate my instruction during class time to mm. catch me up. And so that's kind of how trombone came to be. But ever since I started playing it, I loved it. And I was, you're right. There's not a lot of, um, female trombone players out there. I think we like all know one another, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, it was, it was so much fun, you know, and I, I just, it is so much fun. I mean, I, I still try to play when I can, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I value my performance experiences on the instrument and um, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking about recently actually trading it in or, or getting another model and I just can't. I play on a Bach 42 BO and I just, I can't, I can't do it. You know what I mean? You kind of grow attached emotionally to your horn. Yeah. And I, I can't bring myself to do it, but um, yeah, it's good being a trombone player. Yeah. I mean, my, it, 
your story is the exact same my, as my story because I started in seventh grade. Uh, Leah Williams, who we all know, like yeah. I came in the band and I said, what do you, I heard on the on the intercom, if you want to try band, try it. And yeah. I was walking in and saying, what do you, what do you need? And she was like, here is a baritone trombone mouthpiece, try it. And I was like, well, number one, trombone is not, I'm not going to do all this the whole time. <laughs> So bears yep. euphonium was the correct plan. <laughs> and so that's how that started. So it's funny that we both kind of like started band on that same track of like, whatever you need me, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Put me wherever you need, coach. Uh, I'll make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. So something, um, you first? Oh, I was just gonna ask, when, when did the trombone go down? and the baton go up that was the thing and that was mm. that's what you and that's what you wanted to chase yeah that's that's exactly mm. what yeah that's a really good question um because for a while as an undergraduate student um you know i i was aiming for um graduate studies in trombone performance for a while actually um and it changed um, when I, I met one of my former former teachers, one of my conducting teachers, actually, um, as an undergraduate student. Um, I, I believe it was my third year, so the junior, um, and I was sitting in one of his rehearsals. He had just um, been hired at Georgia Southern, um, and I was sitting in one of his rehearsals. Actually, I was I was subbing in that day um for that group on bass trombone and i you, do you ever sit in those rehearsals or you hear an ensemble perform and it's and it's as cliche as it sounds it feels magical it feels you get the goosebumps there's something that words can't hardly describe and even if you know absolutely nothing about music you know that that's how it should be done you know, um, I kind of felt that way. And I had never, you know, I had been around good band and I had been around great um, band leadership and, and conductors. This was just new to me. This was different. And um, this was music making at an entirely different level. This was conducting and interpreting music at an entirely different level. This was collaboration between ensemble and conductor at a just completely new level. And I was hooked. And I remember in that moment, almost making a vow to myself, you know, I, I remember thinking, who did you learn that from? And I will study with that person one day because I need to do that. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that kind of switched for me um kind of in the middle of my undergraduate degree i i had like a similar one when ksu had their conducting symposium i would never be a conductor but gary green conducted the second movement of what was it persicetti symphony number six mm -hmm. with the trumpet solo and i had a mo whole musical thing and he conducted me and we had this solo and we had this connection i said yeah i'm right where i need to be playing the trumpet and it was yeah. great. And, and I was like, I would never conduct because that that just if you mess up, everybody going to know. Yeah. <laughs> your ensemble going to look at you. They're going to be like, 
you missed that beat, but we caught you, <laughs> but you missed that beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it seems like you were kind of like reaffirmed in that moment. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You kind of had this moment. Um, and I had one too, you know, in that, in that time. And, you know, ever since then, I was just, it was contagious. And I, I was like, I just, I want to do that. Um, and at the time, you know, I had, I was maybe in my first conducting class, you know what I mean? Learning, learning how to use the baton, you know, really how to use it and um, kind of in the early stages of learning what it means to be a conductor. Um, but I, I remember seeing that and I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to, that's what I want to be. So, yeah. I know you mentioned, uh, being drum major and I know both of these guys were both drum majors too, when they were in high school. I, you know, if my school had a marching band, I would have been the drum major because that's exactly something I would, <laughs> don't laugh, it's true, but it's yeah. exactly something that would have been right up my alley. And so for me, always hearing about it, and I, you know, I've talked in bands now and I understand the structure of it. I know, I see the value of it. I know that you have a very strong emphasis and background in, in marching band. I wanted to ask you like how you kind of got into that, like why, why you value it so much and like how you see it I, did it help you at all get to where you are, especially, you know, conducting? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, kind of going, touching on my earlier story about sort of starting late, um, what finally, what actually attracted me to being in band and to wanting to create music initially was seeing um, the marching band perform on Friday nights. And, and, and in seventh grade, that was finally it. You know, I remember being at the game and, you know, hanging out and, and I would, I would just be glued to the fence, you know, like, what is that? You know, and I wanted to do that. And, and like the, the, they were so cool. Like they had these letter jackets and like, they were close and they had this community and like, I mean, you know, the band was cool at my school. Um, and, and there's a, there's a bigger reason for that. Um, but I, so I wanted to do it. I wanted to be up in the mix. And so that's kind of how I initially um, got started and, you know, did high school marching band and then went on to college and then college marching band um, and, you know, did the section leader thing and wanted to do drum majoring um, just because I wanted to get better as a leader. I, I wanted to learn more about leadership and, I just felt like that was a capacity for me to where I could have a lot of influence um, over my own personal self-development as a leader and also um, a way to kind of inspire and unite and collaborate with my colleagues at the time. And um, so I did that and then I, my first year of teaching, I, I, I always wanted to march drum corps in college and and for me it was i i kind of found out about it like i won't say too late because it wasn't too late but um you know my decision was basically go march core but spend an extra year in undergrad you know or finish in four years and just don't march core and so i decided to finish a school and and not take out more loans um but i wanted to have a drum corps experience and because I, I, I really value what, you know, um, the marching arts um, do at that level. And I, I just wanted to be around it and know more about it. And so 
Um, my first year teaching, I decided to get involved um, with a DCA Corps in the Atlanta area called Alliance from Bugle Corps. And yeah, and it was, you know, I knew people who had marched um, and that was a really great experience for me. I actually auditioned on Mellophone and got a spot. Um, and that was great because I learned this kind of whole new world of brass pedagogy. And I learned this whole new world of, you know, rehearsal efficiency and um, just kind of this whole new concept of competitive style marching band, really. Um, and that was a valuable time for me. And, you know, they did drum major auditions after giving out contracts. And I decided to audition, not thinking I would make it because it was my first year doing core. And, um, but they offered me, you know, the, the head position. And so I was like, sure. So, um, I, I did a season with them as, as drum major, you know, um, and then went back and worked with the core the next season on the brass staff. Um, during the spring training camps. And so, I don't know, you know, I just, um, and then I taught marching band at Houston County um, and did it um, as a graduate assistant at Georgia Southern, you know, wrote drill, did arrangements. I, you know, it's just a different marching band I really value because it's a way to reach uh, and, and involve so many students, you know, on campus with music. Um, you know, you and you're able to appeal to the more competitive people. You're able to appeal to the students who just want to play their instrument. Um, and they and they like kind of the challenge of moving and playing while doing so. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've just always liked marching band. I've always liked the marching arts. Um, my students loved it, you know, at Houston County. They loved competition. They loved competitive band and not in a way that was unhealthy. Um, you know, they just, they liked being in that arena, that musical arena. And, and so seeing them get excited about it made me want to be better for them at learning how to do it, um, more efficiently. So, yeah. Um, and I can definitely say that one, your, your, your personality is just such a great personality for, for that. Like I've actually seen you walk, like actually work with groups and stuff. Cause I, you graciously hired me for a couple of times um, for band camp and just seeing the way you work with um, that group. I was just like, Oh my gosh, she is a phenomenal teacher. She, she really connects with the kids. It is just amazing to watch. You are a great teacher. I mean, I got you personally and privately on, on my instrument, but seeing you work with those students, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I, I want to be. This is how I want to influence my kids. So you're, you're such a great inspiration to, to see and model after. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and you did a wonderful job, you know, being there and helping us out. And, um, you know, and, and that that also kind of reminds me, you know, I'm a type A individual, I would say. I'd say I, I would identify as a type A personality. And teaching marching band, like from the tower, like is it that, like my type A personality thrives in that setting. You know, you have to just be very organized and very kind of, mechanically thinking and mechanically sound and thinking about everything and it that it I, I i love it and it's it's so strategic you know what i mean um 
but that's that's really kind of you, Anthony, to say that. I, I really enjoyed my job there. I enjoyed the students. I enjoyed the family families. I enjoyed the community. You know, it was just such a wonderful time in my personal life and my professional life. So, yeah, that Middle Georgia crew. I mean, yeah. we, we were just talking about yesterday because we had um, Shari Williams on. Um, and we were just talking uh, a lot. Of, yeah, we were we were talking about a lot of our guests for this summer spotlight series have been like Georgia natives, and literally three people on this call right now, sorry Lauren, are all from Middle Georgia. So like we are really like out here. I don't, doing yes, I don't. Know yeah. But Lauren, Lauren, she, she's from Augusta, so she's still that Georgia native. But like, yeah, she's from Georgia. Things. We're still or, doing things. I mean, I mean, it's like South South Carolina. Okay, listen, it's a toss. We're not gonna get into this. I'm here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. I love Shiree too. I can't wait to watch his episode. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and talking about both of you, you two were the inaugural participants of the H. Robert Reynolds Conducting Symposium. And I, I was actually working at HOCO at the time with you when you at first, like you were just telling people and I was like, oh my goodness, how was that experience for you? How was that? Oh, um, incredibly nerve wracking. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> You know, um, but wow, I mean, it was so um, rewarding. You know, I mean, just to be able to to work um, with H. Robert Reynolds, you know, and and to work, um, it was it was the Michigan State Chamber Players that year to work with them and also just to be, you know, around you know, my colleagues who were also participants and just watch them work and, and learn from them and, and just to kind of be with them and hang out with them and just be around like-minded people. And, um, oh, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal, you know, and, but, uh, but seriously, very nerve wracking. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're ever, if anyone's contemplating, um, applying for Reynolds Institute, number one, I highly recommend, um, number two, um, just be prepared for, you know, you get up there to conduct for the first time and there's like over 500 people in the room and it's all of the people you admire yeah, and yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Cause I mean, I was there every session cause I just love conducting and I love watching, but literally I couldn't get a seat sometimes like every yeah. seat. And everywhere you stood, there was like so much. And I'm pretty sure having all those eyes on you and, and usually in, in symposiums, it's like this very intimate moment. Like you're conducting this, your first time conducting in front of that group. It's a very nerve wracking thing. But then having 500 people staring at every move that you make had to mm -hmm. be like something you're just like, okay, I cannot think about these people at all. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's unique, you know, because you get up there to conduct, the lights are all on. It's not like a concert. It's not just, you know, it's like you see everybody. It's it's really the worst part is like when you're when you're up, you know, when you're on deck, when you when you're mm -hmm. about to go, um, you know, and, and you're looking around and again, you see all of these these faces of these people that, you know, and admire their work and, and who are, you know, who are giants in our field and they're just in there. And it's like, 
Okay. You know, uh, but you know, you get up there and it just, it becomes you and the ensemble really, you know, you, 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 you tune everyone out and it just becomes, you know, you and the music and the players, you know, and, and you just kind of get in the zone. And so it's, I don't, I don't want to like, uh, dissuade anyone from applying. Okay. It's, it's a phenomenal experience. Okay. Um, and, and it just speaks to it. That's how I think that's, that's why the experience in the Institute is so valuable is, you know, we have these wind conductors that kind of gather and, you know, we, we kind of are in the same space for a couple of days and, you know, we're learning, we're not just observing, you know, we're learning from each other. Um, and it's, it's just a great environment. Yeah. Speaking on like presentations and everything, I noticed that you have actually, or like speaking of conferences, you've actually given a few presentations, not only at, I think, tech, uh, TMEA, GMEA, NAF, or those. So can you like talk about like how you, or your, all your presentations and like how you went about deciding what you wanted to present on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, let's see. I, yeah, so I, I presented at GMEA. Um, with a colleague of mine. Um, and we, we've actually presented to the CNAFME chapter. Um, and it was, it was wonderful. Um, we presented on essentially, um, collaboration, loosely speaking, largely speaking. Um, and we kind of talked about, so my colleague and I, you know, we actually met through kind of going above and beyond, you know, our our daily job requirements and kind of collaborating outside of school to create these other opportunities for um, our students, for ourselves. And so, um, and we had done that a couple of times. And so we just kind of wanted to combine all those experiences, analyze them and kind of um, put them in into this presentation of, of that, maybe hopefully inspired or influenced um, younger teachers um, or collegiate students um, to do the same. And, you know, and just with, with technology and everything that we have at our disposal, like there's just so many things that you can do um, in, in particularly in, in music education. And so that was kind of it. It was, it was very just this largely about collaborating and the different levels of collaborating with colleagues within your, your program, within your building, within your state, within your district, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, so I did a NAFME presentation um, and that was largely about um, kind of cultivating individuality within your, your rehearsal space. Um, and it focused primarily on um, the LGBTQ plus community, which um, it's happy June, everybody. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so um, we just we kind of had a conversation about, um, you know, how to normalize your LGBTQ plus students um, and and how to uh, normalize LGBTQ plus people uh within your curriculum and and to to all students um so that that was kind of uh the primary focus on that um, i did a women in music uh speaker series for our top beta sigma chapter here at michigan state wonderful chapter here at michigan state both tbs and kappa kappa psi um you know which you know we just i kind of had a conversation about my background and things like that and then um most recently 
my colleague uh, here at Michigan State, Brian Taylor and I um, did a joint session uh, for the Texas Music Educators Association um, convention uh, this past February. And that largely talked about, so we kind of took, um, in summary, we kind of took uh, Daniel Pink's um, approach to motivation um, through mastery, autonomy, and purpose, and created this chamber music curriculum that can be applied in both small ensembles and large ensembles um, and kind of kind of created these stages within this curriculum of developing mastery. Okay, now taking your development of these skills and creating a space for students to hone those skills and through autonomy and then um, taking the skills and giving them the space for autonomy to find and develop and cultivate their purpose as musical artists you know why are we here why are we making music why is it important you know what can we do through that and how can we get students to develop these technical skills practice governing themselves you know um, and then also seek their purpose in music making um, through various ways and so um, that that was kind of that the TMEA presentation um, in a nutshell there. So, yeah. I mean, those are all topics that like, I would love to have been in, like, in the rooms for those. And, you know, the, like, especially the, I think chamber music, I know that's something in particular, Michael uh, specifically, like talking about chamber music, especially with like, young players and how that can really their development. So that's just so interesting to me. Yeah, you know, yeah. and. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we always think about, you know, we've heard, we always talk about in pedagogy and, and ensemble skills and whatnot, you know, how, you know, a band is just made up of smaller chamber ensembles, you know, obviously, you know, that's kind of the premise of um, the, the Eastman Wind Ensemble. And, you know, and, and, but really kind of like how often are we diving into teaching our students chamber ensemble skills? You know, because if we do that, it's almost as though we kind of we kind of give them the opportunity to meet us on a level of true musical collaboration, where it's not just information coming from the podium to you, from the podium to you. They truly through autonomy and through a select um, select basic skills can give their own interpretation of music can provide that themselves um, you know and and so I, I just think it's super important and and you know it's like as conductors um, you know m most of what we to get an ensemble to play well together is not really about watching it's about listening and if they're watching, they're, they're watching, or they should be watching their their chamber group within the group, you know. So teaching them that those skills, um, yeah. I Lauren, I I agree with you 100. It's very important, very important skills. That um, is like real quick, Anthony. Yeah. Like chamber music is like if I could like not even teach in university, if I could be on faculty at a district 
and only do like chamber music and brass for like a set of high schools and middle schools, I would be happy for the rest of my life. Because we look at these kids and we're like, okay, let's make chamber music. Okay. That's like looking at a two-year-old, what's four plus four? Like, if you don't teach them the skills, how are they going to do it when we say it? And it's just like middle schoolers, especially is what I love is like, they have musical things to say too, even Mm -hmm. though they're trained as people would say, or they need to be more like repetitive and we need to just do call back and forth. No, they have musical ideas within themselves that we can unlock in them and we can give them the tools to let them be expressive. And I just like all that you just said, I loved it. More educators need to do chamber music all the time if they can, like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, and well, it's like, you know, you talk about younger students um, and yeah, I've, I've really what I've found through working with with fifth grade beginning students, you know, to graduate students is that, you know, young students feel, um, you know, their emotions and and their musicianship, wherever it is right on their level or on their journey of developing it just as intensely as we do you know they just lack the vocabulary most of the time to express it you know and um and i you're right i mean absolutely and i get it you know i get it it's you know that's the biggest thing and you know that it's like well where, when do you do it what how do you do it when do you teach those skills you know yep. um and and so you know there's there's kind of a tricky way you can do it and and that was kind of me when I was teaching. I was always trying to figure out how I could not manipulate, um, but just create opportunities within the schedule that I had as to where I didn't have to create more time um, outside of work doing that. I mean, we're busy, you know, I, yep. we are so busy. Band directors are bent over backwards. They're at booster meetings. They're at this meeting and that. And so that was a big that was a big premise of it, though, was just how to do that within the large ensemble in your daily rehearsal. Um, but ultimately, yeah, Michael, I agree. It's a great investment. And it'll save you time in the long run for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, go back just a little bit. I mean, we're running out of time, but the LGBTQ uh, session that you did, like, I think that needs to be talked about a lot more. So can you just go a little bit, what were your thought process of even, you know, coming up with that? I mean, then presenting on that, where did, where did that come from for you? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, um, I was approached about doing it and, you know, they asked if I would in some way talk about the LGBTQ plus community. And it wasn't a requirement by any means. And they, they kind of gave me the freedom to discuss what I wanted. Um, but I it, obviously, if they want me to talk about that, there's a need. Um, and um, so, you know, I essentially it was, you know, kind of the LGBTQ plus community and its intersection with music education and, and what we're doing every day in that space. Um, and, you know, I, largely it was it was a bit of a, a checklist of just things that you know we may not we may not think about um or or may not have had to have thought about right. um but at some point you're, we're gonna have to think about them um and if we can start doing it now before you maybe realize you have students who are lgbtq plus 
Right. It's just going to be for the betterment of them and, and how they feel. I mean, um, and so essentially the biggest thing was just normalizing LGBTQ plus in your room. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, thinking about, you know, pronouns too, you know, um, yeah, I love what we do here um, with Spartan Marching Band. My first day at Spartan Marching Band stuff, um, our name tags, we had name tags and it was, you know, my name and my preferred pronouns. And I, you know, I, I was so upset with myself because I never did that as a teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like yeah. how many students, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I was just like, that's yes. so easy to do. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and, you know, we talked about repertoire and we talked about incorporating a diverse set of experiences and lived experiences within that repertoire and fostering discussions on that, mm -hmm. um, you know, and talked about how to be, you know, how to be an asset or how to be, I guess, um, supportive of a student who might um, come out to you because it happens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, these students spend four years in these music programs um, with this with the same teacher and they and they get comfortable and they become comfortable and they they trust they trust us and they 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 trust that they can come and tell us like the biggest thing, most important thing about themselves, you know? Yeah. yeah. So how do you and so we're not taught that how to respond yeah. to that in seminar. Yeah. 101 or whatever, right? No, no, no. So just gave some tips on how to navigate, how to navigate that situation, you know, kind of kind of thing. So I know um, for our colleagues um, in the choral world, I know that this is like a very big thing because, um, uh, you know, I, ha I have one leg in choir, one leg in band. And I know um, that was a big conversation because you know, there was things like men's choir and things like that. And, you know, that could, that's not the correct way, um, especially as we're moving forward. And so I think the choral world is really kind of have that more in front of us rather in band, because in band, we have marching band, we have this, we have that, but I still think we could do more to include everybody into our ensemble. So I'm just glad that you, you really um, touched on that because it, it is necessary for all of us in music. We we love to boast that music is for everybody, but then sometimes we 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 don't fully, you know, go about what we preach. So I'm glad we are having these conversations. Um, and so the one of the last things that we're going to talk about is you are now you are the visiting professor uh, at Utah. Um, and are you excited? Are you happy? Are you nervous? What are you like? How is how is that feeling? <laughs> um, I am so excited. I am very much looking forward to um, relocating to Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, and being in that scene. And I'm very, very much looking forward to meeting the, the students that I'm going to be around and to meeting my colleagues. Um, the faculty there are incredible. And, you know, they've been 
um, phenomenal at, at reaching out and, and, and kind of being visible and approachable. And so, um, I'm very much looking forward to this upcoming year and getting to know everyone in that, in that, in the, within the college of music and, um, getting to know my, my colleagues and, uh, and, and making some phenomenal music, you know, um, in the upcoming year. Jesus, I, I know I will be flying out to Salt Lake to come and see you. I don't come know on. when or when my pocketbook will say we got enough <laughs> to fly out. But, <laughs> you come on anytime. I come hang out. Be making my way. Um, and so what we like to do before we close out is just how can our audience, you know, follow you on your journey? How can we be a part of your, your village that continues to just lift you up? How can we find you on all types of social media? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I guess, well, I mean, like, I guess, like, who isn't these days, right? But <laughs> I am on Facebook, and I'm, I'm fairly active on Facebook. And so, um, please feel free to send me a friend request, you know, shoot me a messenger, whatever you call them on messenger, <laughs> shoot me a messenger, an Insta snap, twit, gram yes. of faces. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. um, Facebook is great. Um, on Instagram, um, you can find me on Instagram pretty easily. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not going to lie. I'm not on Twitter often. Um, and so yeah, Facebook, Instagram, um, that, that would be the way I would say to, um, connect with me. I mean, you can always email me at Rebecca, a Daniel at gmail.com. Um, Rebecca spelled the way it's spelled. So just make sure you check that out. Um, it, yeah, I have three first names. It's really interesting. I have three first names. So my parents, you do. thank you. Yes, you do. Thank you. Wow. For, thank you for that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And of course, connect with me via social media and I'm happy to give you, you know, my, my university, um, email at Utah and whatever. Um, let's connect. Yeah, let's do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, it's just the knowledge that you've just given us has been amazing. So thank you so much. And for our audience members, I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for having me, Relative Pitch. Cool.